Good morning, you're on Faith FM with The Brecky Show. Um, today, it's Friday, it's the 8th of January, well, if you're listening to it live. Yesterday, we did have some problems with our recording, some technical difficulties, so if you are on the Apple podcast, you won't get it. But this morning, you are with Minnie, Carly, and Mitch. Yeah, fun times. Mm. It's the last day that I have these guys with me. It's been, it's been a fun time. It's been, been a while. No, it hasn't been that wild. <laughs> it's been enjoyable. Um, how are you guys feeling? A little bit tired, but good. Yeah. Awake yeah. and alive, and that's a wonderful thing. It is. Mm. <laughs> it's sad that it's the last day, though. Well, I mean, you could come back sometime. Look, I'll keep it on the books. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I want to hear. <laughs> Look, I'm glad you guys have joined me. It's been good. For many reasons, I needed people, person, <laughs> mm, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so it helped me out. <laughs> also, it's just been fun hanging out. Um, what? Are, yeah, are you guys thankful for anything particular? Uh, well, camp coming up this weekend and yes. South New South Jet Camps are happening and yeah. we're very excited for them. Yes, and hopefully COVID won't be a stitch up because yes. it, yep. it's just that thing, right? Everything's a bit uncertain. I'm never like totally convinced everything's going to be all good. Mm. I'm, a bit, I'm like <laughs> both the biggest believer in humanity and also the biggest skeptic, hey? <laughs> what about you, Carly? What do you think? Um, I'm thankful for the weekend. Yeah. Yes. Sabbath is coming. I am very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like, even if it's been a good week, it's really, really nice to get to, like, Sabbath and be like, you know what? I'm I'm done for yeah. the week, actually. We just get to just chill out. And when I was in school, I thought it was the best because I just – my parents never made me do homework or assignments or anything. Yes. And I – look, I wasn't the best student, so <laughs> I probably didn't do it as much as I should have anyway. But it was like there was no obligation to. And I was like, I can actually do just Jesus time and do life and hang out with people or – Whatever I was up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah, but it's been a week. It's been our first week back at radio. We're glad that you guys have been listening. Hopefully you've been listening. Um, we always love when you do that. It's it's my choice. <laughs> <laughs> mm, awesome. What's some good news for us, Carly? Alrighty. So today's story that I would love to share with us is a about a gentleman called Joe Hylton. So he's an American and he had been driving big rigs for two years. And by his count, this is the seventh time that he's actually come to the rescue um, at a scene on the road. And this one, he says, was perhaps the most heartwarming. So he's driving at night down the road and he comes across the scene of a bad accident. So there's two cars, there's been a pile up and both cars have, have nearly been destroyed. And there's this man frantically running down the highway. So Joe pulls over and he walks out into the middle of this high-speed traffic area and he starts directing cars away from the two wrecks, which is amazing in itself. But then the story goes on and he hears one of the drivers screaming that he's lost his daughter. And the driver, the father's looked in the back of the car and he, he goes, I, I can't find my daughter. I can't find my daughter. And the daughter's been thrown from the car. And so Joe says, look, I came over, I looked in the back and he immediately went into dad mode because he's got a couple of kids and he, he just began to search through the marshy area along the road using his flashlight. And you, you can kind of imagine what's going through his head. This guy's lost his daughter. Um, yeah, and so Joe's looking and he's looking and he's like, where, where is she? And he comes across this small grey bundle. And at first he's like, oh, do I look? Like he knows the type of injuries that could have occurred here. And he finds out to his astonishment that there's this little two-year-old who's just sitting there and he comes over and she just reaches up her arms. And he's like, this is amazing. And he mm. picks her up and he takes her back to his dad and it's really sweet. Later on he says... Um, yeah, he's just he's just saying, look, there's so much craziness going on in the world. I don't believe in receiving accolades because people en- ended up giving him this um, mm. this award for what he'd actually done. And he's like, look, I just did what I needed to do and, and what you're doing in that case. And he says that he grabbed her, he called for the dad. The dad came running over and they had a hug. He goes, we didn't know each other. I'd never met him before in my life. But I'll tell you, 
we knew each other in that moment. Mm. And I just, I love what he says, um, what he said later on in the interview as well. He said, everyone is so angry and upset. It seems like the world is on a level 10 right now. Mm. A little bit of good will go a long way. It gives me hope that things are on the mend, that things are changing. You know what that reminds me of? You know, in when Jesus is talking, he goes, when you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. Yeah. That reminds me yep. of like that dad, right? It's just like, I don't know you and you don't know my daughter, but the fact that you went and got her, you did that for me too. Like, mm, yeah. how stoked you'd be like, you're my bro for life. Like, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. And even the fact that this guy's willing to put his life on the line yeah, yeah. to actually walk out in the middle of the road, direct the traffic away, finds out the daughter's gone, all right, well, I'm just going to go look Let's for sort her. sort that out. I grab my torch and go for a walk, yeah. And yeah, yeah the fact that it's nighttime. Mm. Like, that's not yeah. a fun time to be looking for a miss no. person, mi- missing person, particularly yeah, a small child because mm. they're small. <laughs> no, that's a cool story. What about you, Mitch? I have, have one from a uh, gentleman called Dave Ramsey who started a company uh, that provides biblical... Oh, Ramsey Solution. It provides biblical-based financial education and is best known for its Financial Peace University classes. Now, nice. Dave, uh, Dave Ramsey, he paid off $10 million worth of debt owed by 8,000 individuals. That's this so much money. Season. <laughs> Um, and in a video that he released um, to uh, as as part of the as part of the deal, I suppose, uh, he said this year has been one of the hardest years for some of you. Hmm. People have struggled financially in ways they never had before, and that's why we wanted to take this opportunity to show the love of Jesus by taking on the debt of eight thousand people across the country. Far out! Wow. Again, you'd just be so just like in awe, right? If someone's like, "Hey, you're all good." And this is, I guess, the interesting part of coronavirus, right, is because it has been such a global impact. Like, for sure, in our communities, there are people who always could use help. But I think because it's been, like, particularly last year, heaps of people didn't have work, heaps of people, you know, it's just, it was kind of common knowledge that, hmm, people around are probably struggling. Mm. What do we do about it? You know, like, you don't always have that opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Even if you don't, you know, like, it may be that some of those debts that were forgiven, people were okay. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. But that's just still Yeah. It's so hectic. cool. I was yeah. I was looking at another story um in the last day or so about this um preschool principal, I think it was. Like so this lady was in leadership and she was just like, Look, families are struggling and mm. she took a job as an Uber driver over the break mm. to actually provide Christmas presents for the kids. And she was like, oh. Look, these families are struggling, they need help. Uh, what can I do? I'll just go do another job. I've got the time. And I was like, That's amazing. People are just willing to step in. That's that is amazing. We were just talking off air just before about the fact that we feel like we don't have time often. Mm. You know, it's like I just don't have time to do things, and then you have people who are just like, no, no, we can find the time. Mm. Oh, actually, I'm a bit rebuked. By- <laughs> <laughs> that is a good news story, but um, I'm a bit hit me him in the feels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, what would you guys if you guys had the opportunity to do something? Is there something that you have an interest in? If you're like, hey, there's a need that I know I can meet, what is the sphere that you'd be like, I can offer this? Ooh, good question. Very good question. Oh, no, I don't know for me either. I'm just curious what mm. you guys think. It's not about this. <laughs> yep. I think it's easier in when you think about the skill set that you have. Um, so I don't know. For me, I'm a teacher, so maybe more. And I love basketball coaching, so it'd be more like just helping out in the kind of yeah. sports side, just hanging out probably. I think sports is a powerful avenue, though, to connect with people. Mm. Like whether they're kids or older. I'm not I'm not great at sports, but for sure, the people I've just played a random game of oh, whatever with, like soccer, footy, basketball, I'm not the best player on the team, but, man, there's just like the fact that you're doing something together 
They're, like, there have been friendships I've had that purely came from us playing a soccer game at... I've done this thing called Stormco. So it's basically this... Oh, what do you call it? It's like a service. Yeah. Yep. Well, what does it stand for? Service to others really matters or something, right? Yep. And, yeah, so when I was a teenager, we'd go out to some random town. You just kind of do community service and kids clubs. It's a super fun time. But, yeah, so when I went to in West Oz, they had, like, this weekly... Um, sorry, annual soccer game. Mm. And I didn't know the team at all. Like, I just went and I was like, yeah, I want to go to West Oz. This would be awesome. And a whole bunch of the crew, I just got to know just from the soccer game. And the whole rest of the week, I was like, we're buddies from that soccer game. Yeah. Also, we're hanging out all week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that helps. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Mitch? Yeah. Is there something? Uh, probably similar to Carly in some ways. I'm training to be a teacher and, um, mm-hmm. you know, various things around uh, Avondale campus that I do uh, have given me certain skills. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's in the facilitating of um, – just community. Yeah. You know, not even necessarily just on campus, but elsewhere as well would be a, a, a beneficial thing for sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's tricky. I'm not good with the ideas, but if someone's like, hey, there's a thing we're doing, I'll be like, I'm, I'm there. Mm. I can be a sidekick. I can jump on board with that. Yep. Which, yeah. Which, you know, it's a fun time. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So yesterday, I think I shared a story about some of the protest marches that were happening in the US. Uh, if you guys have been following the news, that has kind of just gone wild. Um, the US Senate? Well, I've I've lost my page with... But basically, they stormed the US Capitol. Um, yeah, it wasn't from foreign agencies. It wasn't about terrorism. It was just people... Yeah, just really going hard for their cause to the point that a lot of damage was done. People died. Um, there was just, yeah, a whole bunch of hectic that was going on. And many U.S. citizens around the world who aren't living there, they just have kind of looked in in shock at kind of what has been going on. Uh, so if you want to hear more about that, you know, it's on a lot of news sites. But I just thought I should mention that thing as we talked a little about it yesterday. A little bit of a lighter um, news story. So since the the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, thousands of people left Kazakhstan steep um, and it has become one of the largest spaces on Earth to be rewilded in recent years. I just thought this was really interesting. Uh, So basically a bunch of farms were quite unprofitable. So when the Soviet regime was kind of still at work, you know, there was a little bit of money that was coming through as – that kind of crumbled. People were forced to move elsewhere. And so Kazakhstan was the last republic to secede from the Soviet Union 30 years ago, but the removal of the structure had a huge impact on unemployment. So it went from 25% in 1992, seven years later. This is going back in history, but bear with me. Um, like seven years later, that's at like 43.4%. It's a pretty big jump, not that long a time. Um, as people left, many farms morphed back into grassy patches and researchers have been wanting to see the full extent of the impact on nature. Conservation scientists noticed that some animals have become rarer, some more abundant, some disappeared completely, and they've just found it a really interesting testament to how land changes um, the whole species. You know, like what happened? Because, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard this argument, but, it's, you know, if humans weren't here, nature would get back to the way it needed to be. Um, but one thing they've noticed is, ironically, the abandonment of, like, from humans has exposed the fact that some forms of human activity can hugely benefit wildlife. So they've seen a, a, yeah, a whole bunch of things come back and they're like, oh, this is awesome. They've also seen that some things aren't so helpful. But I was like, I just love that nature is like, yeah, let's let's get beautiful again. We can get amongst this. Hmm, interesting that nature coming back resulted in some species disappearing. Yeah. Hmm. 
I wonder if there's just an element that as things – oh, what's it called? Like when you have the predator more animals who can get rid of other ones, maybe that can be a good thing, you know, like it can balance it out. Like we know in Australia, say, there's a whole bunch of marsupials which have been very endangered for a long time um, and part of that is because of – what's it called? Introduced species. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with in regards to that, a lot of people say, no, we need human influence to keep some of those things under control – because they've been introduced. But if you just let them be, it'd be a problem. Mm. But what if you got rid of the introduced species hey. and then left them to it? What impact would that have? Mm. Would it be a good thing or a bad thing? Mm. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, well, some, some animals have um, negative effects. We did this in uh, high school. My biology teacher will love to hear me say this, but <laughs> Keystone you National Park in America... <laughs> Um, had a whole lot of deer that was eating down the um, the the brush in the marshes that were down on the riverbank, mm. um, but they were eating it back to nothing. Um, right. So the river was uh, struggling. Uh, all of the species that that lived in the river were also in low numbers. Mm. Um, but then um, the authorities, I don't know, game wardens or national park advisors, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, but they introduced some wolves to the area, which um, then brought down the deer population, which then brought the, the marsh back in, which then made the river run better, and then all the species that lived off that mm. came back in yeah. bigger numbers. So, And it's really, yeah. that's quite a small thing that you're changing to a degree, like, mm. and that has a huge impact. Yeah. yeah interesting. Um, look, in another story, um, this is a little bit of a sadder note. So at the end of last year, at the end of 2020, um, BBC exposed a thriving black market in babies in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, and people have sought to understand what drives a mother to sell her children, Um, which I think is, it's really easy to go, that's terrible. It is, but also we have no idea what it's like, generally speaking, to have Mm. to be in that position. And the short answer, basically just from speaking to different um, women, and as one young teenager um, who felt that there was no way to, has said she's like, You'll have girls losing their babies and everything they own because there's no one to hold their hand. Mm. They kind of make it like as simple as that. They're just like, I mean, it's a complex issue and there are so many reasons that go into it. There's, yeah, so much going on. But uh, Kenya has one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy in Africa and experts have said that the problem has worsened during the um, coronavirus pandemic. And with some women, they've been pushed into sex work to survive and girls have lost the structure of the school system and they've been abandoned by the father of the children. And so for many... They simply have no idea what legal options are available to look after their kids or if they want them to have a better life for adoption, they don't know kind of where to go for that. Um, for some women, suicide is appealing just because it's like all so overwhelming. Um, and obviously it is a black market trade and so you have a whole bunch of people who um, one one girl randomly met this woman and she was like, oh, you know, come to my clinic, come to my clinic. And the clinic ended up being, yeah, a place to um, – kind of operate in this black market capacity and then someone who um what's it called the interested buyer turned out to be someone who was undercover with bbc so that's you know they got Mm. well good the woman ended up being able to keep her baby um yeah it's hectic hey just hard time um particularly in light of the fact that coronavirus is still a problem there also that's just another life problem predicament Mm. hard time um Last story, in North Korea, so leader Kim Jong-un has admitted that his five-year economic plan has failed to meet its target in almost every sector, which um, is interesting. (laughs) 
When North Korea closed its borders last January to prevent the spread of COVID-19, even though they had no cases, apparently, um, it left it cut off from its neighbor and ally China, which led to trade dropping to about 80, like 80% drop. Whoa. It's pretty significant. Um, and typhoons and floods have also devastated homes and crops. What I found kind of interesting is that apparently it's not unusual for him to admit his mistakes. Like it's almost becoming a little bit of a trademark. And yet North Korea is still one of the places that many people are trying to escape out of. Um, It's a really pretty dangerous situation in trying to get out. And a lot of the ways that people have used to um, tried, that's got closed down because they used to go up into China, um, not so much straight down into South Korea. But yeah, again, someone who has worked with helping people get out he was a defector himself. He said that now you probably have about 10%, 10% of escapees actually make it. But of that 10%, that 80% of them have dropped from previous years, if that makes sense. So uh-huh. there's, there's not many people who are getting out who are wanting to. Man, we actually are blessed in Australia. Doesn't yeah. mean there isn't sucky things going on that we don't love, but we have it good for so many reasons. And that's just a point of gratitude, right? Mm, It's not about going, you know, God's protecting us more than other people. It's just going, yeah, we're in a land of luxury in so many ways. Um, Yeah. And it's so easy to take that for granted, hey? Like you just do normal life, you get up, you do whatever it is you do in the day and then, yeah, you just kind of – and then it's when you hear stories like this and other stories as well, we're like, whoa, hang on a sec. Life life is amazing. Not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, perspective, hey. And I think it's it's for both, hey. Like, I love the stories, you know, like our good news stories. Mm. We try to be a bit positively different here on Faith FM because on one hand you have, oh, yes, humans aren't so terrible. And that's really nice to have those stories. And it's also nice to have the stories that give you a bit of perspective on outside just your world because you don't know what you don't know mm. until you know. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Awesome. So our interview today is John Ashton. So John Ashton is our monthly creation man. Um, welcome to the show again, John. Um, so okay. I think this morning you were going to tell us a little bit about how you got interested in all of this creation um, field and then go on to tell us a little bit about the dating of the earth. Um, so just take it away. Tell us what we need to know. Yeah, sure. Okay, so... Um, I um, started going to uh, to church back in the early 1970s. Um, I'd uh, finished uh, studies at the University of Newcastle where I, I, I taught chemistry there at the time and I'd won a, um, a scholarship to the University of Tasmania to do a doctorate and while I was there, I, as I said, I started going to uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church and uh, people there were saying, wow, well, you're, you're studying for a doctorate. What do you think about uh, uh, creation? And uh, they would ask a question, you know, well, do you believe in evolution? Do you believe in the, um, you know, the long millions of years of the age of the earth? So this led me to begin my research in this area to uh, to look at that particular question. So at university with um, 
uh, chemistry. I'd done one year of geology, but it, it's interesting. We weren't taught the theory of evolution, but we were taught that you dated the rock ages by the different uh, particular fossils. But the emphasis was more on identifying the fossils rather than correlating with ages. So that was the way things were taught back then. Mm. Now, one of my uh, friends was doing... Um, his doctorate in the area of geochemistry and he was uh, studying a particular uh, old mining deposit actually in New Zealand, an old gold mining deposit, the geochemistry of that. And he found a uh, partly uh, petrified um, prospector's uh, shovel or pick handle and so part of it was wood and part of it was uh, petrified, turned into, into rock. And so he decided to have it uh, radiocarbon dated uh, by the uh, government laboratory in New Zealand. And I can remember the date came back as 6,600 years as the age of this shovel handle. And um, uh, he, he was a Christian, and, and matter of fact, later on he um, he joined the Seven Day Adventist Church too. But uh, we we were good friends, and I remember we discussed this, and we looked at the results, and we thought, well, you know, the oak tree or whatever it was that was uh, used to make this shovel handle wasn't likely to have died, you know, six and a half thousand years ago. So. It, it really sort of raised uh, questions about how these uh, dating methods were calibrated and so forth. And, of course, we know a lot more about uh, carbon dating now. Uh, so the, the carbon-14 dating that is used uses a particular isotope of carbon. Now, normal carbon, we say, is carbon-12, and that is it, it has a, an atomic weight of 12, but... Carbon-14 has um, these uh, extra neutrons uh, that make it uh, heavier uh, and hence carbon-14, but it also makes it unstable. So it, it breaks down and uh, reverts back to, to nitrogen with the um, emission of a, a beta particle or an electron. Uh, but the thing is how car carbon-14 forms in the atmosphere is a result of cosmic rays. Uh, hitting the Earth, and uh, these cosmic rays are actually deflected in part by the Earth's magnetic field. So the stronger the Earth's magnetic field, the more cosmic rays are deflected, and therefore the, the amount of carbon-14 that forms is lower. Now, when they date things, they um, use a, a value for carbon-14 that is based on the current level, but we know that the Earth's magnetic field has been declining um, and we have very accurate measurements on that over the last 150 years or so. And so in the past we know it was much uh, higher, so therefore the carbon-14 content would have been much lower. But if we use this in the calculation, this would actually give us an inflated age for the Earth. In other words, it, when we did the calculation, it will give us an age much older than it really is. And so that's why, again, these carbon-14 dates, um, if they're taken at the face value, give ridiculously old ages. And so well, the only way they can actually use carbon-14 dating is that they have to 
date something that they actually know the age of by some other method. Hmm. And when we look back in history, we can actually only go back with uh, chronologies about 2,000 years before Christ. After that, everything just disappears. And the Bible gives us actually the oldest chronology, and it makes uh, so much sense. And when people talk about the earth being, you know, millions of years old and all this sort of thing, there's major problems because, again, if uh, the Earth's magnetic field, for example, was that old and we extrapolated back, it would be so hot that the surface of the Earth would have been all molten, you know, only mm. you know, a million years ago, this sort of thing. So when we look at what we know today in science, everything really points to a young Earth. And, and some people say to me, as a matter of fact, I got a... An email uh, came the other day, somebody asking about the Big Bang Theory and this sort of thing. We need to understand that these theories that are put forth, like the Big Bang Theory and so forth, they're, they're just pure theories and they can never be proven, never be established. In other words, there's no scientific evidence that we can do or no studies that we can do that actually can disprove the, uh, the the actual Bible creation picture. Now, people say, well, uh, and this goes for, well, let me tell you, let, let me continue. This actually goes to for our stars and the starlight time problem, these sort of things. We need to understand that the properties of the universe are, are very interesting and we're only just beginning to, to study these. And so, for example, we know that... Um, the faster an object travels, the relative time slows down. Uh, and it, the, we have all these observer effects. On the other hand, we know that time is affected also by gravity. So clocks run faster in stronger gravity. So the closer they are to uh, sea level, they run faster. If a clock is up on the top of a mountain, it will um uh, it will run. Oh, hang on. Have I got this around the right way? Oh, the, no, faster that's amazing. Go, <laughs> the faster we go, the clock go down. That's right. So the, the stronger gravity, um, the faster, uh, no, the slower clocks go. Yeah. So as we go up on, anyway, there's two different effects. I get confused about this one. I haven't written it down. That's okay. But gravity, gravity affects time and also speed affects time, both in opposite directions. And so there's a lot of very inter interesting effects like this when we look in terms of um, how the uh, the space-time setup works. Um, the other fascinating thing is um, is field theory uh, when we look at what actually constitutes matter and all these sort of things. And the more we learn about these things, the more the creation picture fits in. I was interesting, I was uh, reading something the other day that, um, you know, the Oxford mathematician John Ennix was saying, and he was saying, look, we, we have all these studies going on looking for life in outer space, and we're looking for some sort of code coming in some form of radiation, some radio signal or microwave signal or something like that. And yet we have this amazing code um, or language in, in DNA, in living systems, that is an absolutely amazing code, um, extremely complex code, um, that again points to an intelligent creator.
And so when we look at the picture um, that we have from science now, it's all pointing to this amazing creator. And one of the other things that fascinates me with astronomy is that when we look out into outer space, everything seems to be happening on our time scale, like stars form and collapse over just a few years. Um, it's almost as if it's something for us to watch. And, mm. and uh, one um, space uh, physicist that uh, I said, it's almost as if God has let us watch what happened at creation by looking out into outer space. And so when we look at these things and they say, you know, we know the observable size of the universe is certainly, you know, um, you know, very large, perhaps a billion years or so, the, when we look at these large uh, uh, sizes that they talk about, like the calculated um, diameter of the universe, maybe, you know, 90 uh, uh, billion years, these are all calculated values, assuming the Big Bang expansion and, and so forth. And these are all unproven things. And scientists themselves are in great controversy about, is the universe expanding? Is it static? What do all these, uh, this background microwave radiation, um, is it just normal? Is it just the heat from starlight or is it some remnant for a Big Bang? So and we're led to believe that these are all hard, fast things that they've proven, but they're not. They're, they're, they're just theories. We don't really understand uh, what is happening. And as I said, the best picture is um, the Bible creation. And when we go to actual histories that have written down, like the Bamboo um, Chronicles and uh, the some of the ancient chronologies that have been preserved from Persia, and Greece um, and these civilizations, they all go back to the flood. They all go back to about 2,000 years BC as when they're being founded. And when we look at, um, you know, some people say, oh, well, we carbon date, you know, indigenous relics and so forth at 40,000 years. We need to understand that these, again, these are based, these dates are based on using calibration curves that really haven't been proven. Um, there's so much guesswork in them and, and unproven correlation. Uh, we, we, they come across as being fact, but this is what we need to understand. These dates haven't been proven. The things that have been really established on a firm scientific basis all only go back about 2000 BC. So this is something that... Um, when we look at this, it just heavily correlates with the flood. And again, when we look at the models of the surface of the Earth, when we look at the geology of the surface of the Earth, we have the Earth's surface covered with this thin layer, relatively thin anyway, in the diameter of the Earth, of sedimentary rock, which is exactly what we would expect from the flood story. Matter of fact, you know, geologists talk about that there have been global extinctions caused by water. They just have several global extinctions, hundreds of millions of years apart. For example, the Cretaceous, where all the limestone deposits were laid down, they, the geologists talk about the, the wall was covered by water at that time and there was massive extinction occurred at that time. But what they don't take into account is, and we can see this for ourselves, is 
you go to many places and you'll see that the rock strata is bent like a round in a, in a curve, like a tightly bent you know, piece of string. And you see these pictures particularly up in the Kimberleys and a lot of these regions where they're exposed. And yet these rocks are supposed to span, you know, millions of years, and yet hard rock can't bend sharp like that. So there's so many obvious things that point that the flood occurred, that these rocks were laid down very rapidly, like we find, you know, whale fossils on the mountains in Peru, these sort of things, and very well-preserved whale fossils. It's really... Uh, showing, again, they were very, buried very rapidly. And we have all this evidence that the mountains, many of the mountains that we see like Everest were pushed up after the flood in recent, uh, relatively recent times. And again, this is corroborated by other data we could look at. Now, people talk about the continents being millions of years old, uh, you know, uh, billions of years old, but they'd erode away in less than 10 million years. So when we look at all the evidence, it all focuses back to a young earth and the biblical story of creation. It's amazing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, John Ashton. Man, super interesting. So much information in that. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.